Welcome to episode eight of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm one half of the hosting duties, Doug. And I'm thing two, Pete. And uh, yeah, on this uh, week's episode, uh, we've got a couple of our first interviews we're really excited about. Our first interview is with Canucks Abby Fan 2. You can follow him at Fan2Abby. And our second interview is our resident Flyers fan, Pat Hundle. Um, so yeah, we'll have them both on in, a, in the next couple of segments to talk about Canucks prospects and to talk about the upcoming game between the Flyers and the Canucks. Uh, but first, Pete, uh, let's crack a beer. Let's do it, indeed. Uh, today, we got the uh, Stanley Park Trailhopper IPA. Nice, I've never tried this one. Well, today's your lucky day. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Um, so obviously tomorrow is the first home game for the Canucks going into the season and they're going to be announcing uh, a captain. I'm sure we all believe it's going to be Mm. Bo, but, uh, let's quickly talk about the first two games of the year. Um, and just kind of do a quick once over of the first game against the Oilers and the second game against the Flames, which you were at. I was. I was in uh, Calgary Saturday night. I uh, just hopped over there to catch the game, uh, see a buddy who's uh, working on a film out there. Uh, if you're listening to this, shout out to Mark in Calgary, driving around, doing stuff, movie stuff. We're glad you're in, we're in your car with you today. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun, uh, good building, uh, good atmosphere in there. Um, Saddle Dome kind of feels like a big coliseum. Uh, if you ever go to Canucks games back in the day or Giants games, or I guess now it's just dog and pony shows out there. Uh, but it felt a bit like that. It felt like a kind of a big, small town. Uh, fans were good to us. We had no issues. Uh, went out for beers afterwards, had a, had a fun time. Uh, but yeah, it was neat to, always neat to go and see your team play on the road. Unfortunately, I don't have the best record of doing that. Uh, the Saddle Dome, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the oldest stadium in the NHL, isn't it? I, I think it's got to be by now. I know they're planning on building a new one, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely getting up there. Yeah, because I don't think NASA really counts anymore in New York because they keep bouncing between New York and Brooklyn. Yeah, I think they're technically Barclays Center. There's uh, NASA Coliseum's fun side note. That was my first ever hockey game. My mom's from New York, and uh, my first ever hockey game was an Islanders-Penguins game. I was going to say... Did the Canucks lose that game because of you as well? No, no, but the last two times I've seen the Canucks on the road now, uh, here in Madison Square Garden, we we lost. So maybe I shouldn't go on the road anymore, but uh, who am I kidding? I I love going and watching the boys on the road. Um, Doug, thoughts on the first two games? Uh, I know there's not a lot of positives we can take out, and everyone's probably, by now, this is, what, three or four days after the loss to Calgary, that had enough time to dissect and criticize uh, where the team's gone wrong and how we've done everything wrong because we're 0-2. But um, what, are, what are your thoughts of what you've seen so far? I mean, I think the Canucks have had glimpses of a good game, of good games and good periods. I liked uh, their second period against the Oilers, I thought was really strong, and they definitely outplayed the Oilers um, for the majority of the second period. And I would say the majority of the third period, to be honest. Um, but they still haven't put together a full 60-minute game, and I think that's kind of one of the reasons why uh, they're winless so far after two games. I do think, obviously, one of the big topics is the power play, and the first unit power play just doesn't seem to be hitting its stride. Um, I, I've noticed the first two games as well. The first the first line, usually PD or Besser or whoever, they seem to be drawing the penalties. So the second unit's actually coming out more often than not to start the power play. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, the power play has been, uh, yeah, we've all talked about should Hughes be on number one, this and that, but it's it's definitely a mix. When you you know, have games where Josh Levo is getting more power play time than Elias Pettersson, uh, you know that there's uh, there's definitely something going on there with uh, the way that players are drawing penalties. And it was a very even power play time on ice uh, in the Oilers game as well, just in in terms of forwards that were out there it was a pretty even mix of, of guys again levo and miller are logging more time out there than uh guys like besser so uh power play definitely could you could use a bit of work there i think the slow starts have definitely hurt us uh teams ha- has gotten better as the night has gone on in both games but just coming out of the gate at a snail's pace i think that's going to change tomorrow though yeah i agree i think the team's going to be fired up and you know i i think there is a there is a good point to be brought up about uh, playing a team during their home opener, right? We played 
Edmonton and Calgary, both home openers for those two teams. So they're fired up, just like I think the Canucks are going to be fired up uh, tomorrow when they play L.A. Obviously, with them naming a captain as well, they'll probably be even more hyped up. So I think that has a lot to do with it. I, I mean, I, I definitely like, there's a lot of things I did like about the Canucks. I I thought Markstrom, for the most part, had two mm-hmm. very solid games. Yeah, I, I agree. Markstrom has been our best player through two games. I mean, Quinn Hughes has looked great. I, There'd be times when you wouldn't notice him, and then all of a sudden there was that one shift, I believe it was against Edmonton. Mm-hmm. He just literally took over, you know, five minutes of the game, and he was creating chance after chance. Uh, and that's the Quinn Hughes that we're all hoping to see this year. So I definitely have liked Quinn Hughes his, through his first uh, two games. The other thing I have to give uh, Travis Green a credit. Game one, Gaudet didn't play. I know, you know, we were all in an uproar about Gaudet not playing the first game. And then game two, Green made the change, put Gaudet in as the third line center, moved Sutter to the wing, mm-hmm. which again, I like that move, that Green was willing to make that change, put Erickson in the press box. And I thought Gaudet, with the limited ice time he got in that game, played pretty well. Yeah, he got uh, 12 minutes. He got some power play time as well. Um, I, I agree. I think everyone wanted to see Gaudet in there. and Taking out Erickson, that was a, that was a, a lot of Canucks fans best scenario um a guy who uh, i felt has been a bit underutilized on the blue line so far uh is troy stetcher he's only averaged about 10 minutes of ice time a game uh that third pairing and again this is probably from all the penalties uh both ways but it just we haven't seen a lot of stetcher and ben yet no we haven't um i did actually also see stetcher and hughes play a couple of shifts mm-hmm. together which i thought they looked okay as well um, but I agree with you because there have been a lot of uh, special teams play the first two games as far as penalties and uh, penalty kills go. Uh, you haven't seen a lot of Stetcher. So, yeah, I still think once the team kind of gets in its groove and you're not playing such a heavy special teams game, you'll see more of Stetcher. And I think they'd like to kind of utilize the minutes and spread them out more evenly with all the defensemen over the course of the season. I mean, that's why guys like Tanev and Edler who have a bit of a injury history, it's because they're playing these hard minutes. You know, they're playing upwards of 25, you know, 27 minutes a game. And obviously you play that 40, 50 games throughout the course of a year, your body's going to break down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, that's definitely affected uh, Edler and Tanev a lot in the past. Another guy who I thought played well, Tanner Pearson. I mean, 11 shots in the first game. That's just ridiculous yeah i liked what i saw out of pearson again he i know he had that one tipping goal from the edler uh point shot mm-hmm. um i'd like to see pearson hit the net a little bit more with some of his shots yeah. that would be my one little criticism um but other than that i mean i guess i say that and yet he's got 11 shots on net so yeah uh but yeah i just don't think any of the shots he he generated were necessarily um goal worthy mm-hmm. um the other guy i wanted to kind of get your take on because i've liked some things i've seen out of him and obviously there's been some other things i haven't liked and again i, I know it's I the know, hop on top- i think i know where you're going here yeah the hop on topic but uh tyler myers what are your thoughts after the first two games uh he had a i thought he had a rough game in calgary um he had some moments in calgary uh there's a bit where he kind of cut in in the high slot there and that was nice to see we don't see canucks defensemen do that and that kind of got my attention um obviously he had a, a, a that gaff with uh getting the assist on the calgary goal but i uh yeah it's a bit of feast or famine with him i think that's just as advertised that's what we knew when we were getting with him he's not a perfect player um he can do some things really well and then he can have those moments um i think we've already seen that through two games um and for me he's still an improvement on the blue line let's just see how it goes i think i think just the whole team right now there's so many new guys on the roster. There's so much gelling that needs to take place. I mean, what have they taken, like, three uh, too many men penalties in the first two games now? Yeah. Just the changes are off. It's guys, uh, yeah, every line has new wingers on it. And the defense pairings are all new. And they're just, there's a lot of figuring out of things. I think uh, the schedule has kind of favored them to start now. You know, you have those three days off. You come home. You get to regroup. Tomorrow's going to be a big day. Um, I can't I can't wait to be at the game tomorrow, man. That's going to be so much fun. Yeah, it should be a great, great game. Uh, well, the other thing, too, Besser obviously missed the majority of training camp. So, you know, I think he's still trying to get his game legs on mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, Petey still doesn't have a point to start the year. I'm not too worried about that. Um, but, yeah, obviously there were some negatives in those first two games. 
But overall, I mean, I did like what I saw when the Canucks did start kind of get going and they were kind of rolling three lines. Mm-hmm. Um, they look good. The problem is, is that they had slow starts and they would take a, a stupid penalty and derail that momentum. And both games we saw that. It's like, oh, hey, here we go, late first. You, know, you could say uh, that was the better, they had the better half of the period. I actually thought against Edmonton, the Canucks were the better team. I, I don't think I they were against Calgary, but I actually thought against Edmonton, the Canucks played a, a better game. The Canucks outshot the Flames in that game too, and I still don't think they had the better game. It's just uh, there wasn't a lot of high-quality chances. But if the Canucks can figure out a way to keep themselves out of the box, at least with stupid penalties, um, they got to watch some of their breakouts a bit more. They were doing some of those oh, those breakouts that they were doing last year when they're dropping at the neutral zone. There were a couple times, and it's just... Uh, they were doing that. They they just looked very confused. And, and Calgary was doing a great job in that game of, of clogging up the lanes as well and taking away passes. And, again, it's just early. But I think tomorrow, L.A., a lot of hype, new captains. It's going to be a loud arena. I think it'll be the loudest that has been a Canucks arena, really, since uh, the Sedin's last game, I would say. I think uh, tomorrow we should get more of a taste of what this team really is and hopefully that extra couple of days has allowed them to gel a bit more as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm really excited for the game tomorrow. Um, the atmosphere in the buildings should be unreal. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, what are your thoughts on Travis Green already switching up the line combinations? I mean, I would say through the first two games, the best line for the Canucks and the most consistent line was Horvat, Miller, and Pearson. Yeah. And it looks like they're already moving Miller to the top line with Petey and Besser. Well, that's something that I'd said for a while is uh, I would not be surprised to see Miller spend some time up there. I think the home opener as well, it's a good way to kind of showcase him to the Vancouver fans. I thought Miller's played very well, um, and I agree. That has been our best line for sure. Horvat seems to have another level to his skating, and you can just see they're, they're players that are comfortable in the NHL. Uh, the Besser-Pedersen line, they're, they're getting the team's tough shutdown units against them right now. So this is something they're going to have to figure out and work with. And this is also something where the Horvat line is going to take a lot of pressure off of them. I, I'm glad Miller's going to that line. I think that's uh, interesting. Again, I've seen, said Furland can move up and down the lineup. I don't think Furland has had uh, a great first couple games with the team. Uh, again, he missed a bunch of time in camp, so he's probably a bit rusty. Uh, he doesn't have that snarl that I was kind of hoping for against his old team. But again, it's early, so maybe move Furland down. Maybe move Miller up. Maybe move Levo into the, the top six, uh, spread it around a bit. Because as you know, our, our bottom two lines haven't really generated any offense through two games here. Uh, and they haven't generated a lot of chances. So we got to do something with that third line as well to kind of mix it up. You don't think it's a little too early to be uh, mixing it up? I, I don't know. I think, I think you're still trying to play with all these pieces a bit and see what works. I'm never against line juggling. Uh, I think we've had coaches in the past who've held on to lines all the time. And if something's not working, I mean, we saw last game, we saw a ship to Horvat, Pedersen, and Besser. I thought yeah. that, was, that was pretty cool, too. I'm not against it. Um, I think if you do it too much, though, it's disruptive. But I think pieces like Miller and Furland, uh, I don't think it's going to disrupt things too much when you're putting them with two guys who already have a bit of chemistry in both uh, those top two line situations. I agree. Uh, I just thought Miller did look really good mm-hmm. with Bo for the first two games and through the preseason. And I... Th- I don't want to say it's a knee-jerk reaction, but I, I do think trying to bump Miller up to the first line, I think it's more to try to get Petey and Besser going than yeah. anything to do with uh, him, his play, or Bo's play on the second line. Yeah, I totally agree, but I think that's uh, that's kind of what you need right now. I think uh, once Petey and Besser get that first one, I, I like to think that the second one's going to be easier, right? I think yeah. get those gates open, get the monkey off their back. I mean, it's two games. It's not much of a monkey. But, you know, everyone in Vancouver tomorrow is going to be watching those guys home ice against a Kings team that most people have picked at the bottom or it's bottom two in the conference right now. Uh, this is a game where the Canucks need to come out, have a strong start, and get some of these top guys going and just take a bit of the pressure off of them. Yeah, I totally agree. Tanner Pearson revenge game, I'm calling it. <laughs> yeah. Um, one other piece of news off ice from the team, um, Alex Biega, no longer a Canuck. What are yeah. your thoughts? I mean, I like Biega. He's Me not too. a guy that I'm going to, you know, freak out about because we traded him. And the guy we got back, Pope, seems like he's probably a career minor leaguer. But I don't think what we got back, the return for Biega wasn't the point of the trade. I think Benning wanted to do right by Biega. Benning made a comment when he first put Biega on waivers that he thought Biega could get claimed. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I think Detroit was the team he was probably referring to, and Detroit didn't want to add an extra contract, so that's why this little swap happened. 
I like Biega's time here. Um, I love the the the, the talk that uh, Boxford would say about you know fans getting drunk on Biega. Yeah, he was one of those guys. I mean, he's a great skater. I think his skating is actually really underrated. I mean, he he is a very quick skater and noticeably uh, fast skater on the ice. Obviously, you know he has some defensive laps and gaps, but overall. I thought Biega was a very serviceable player. Last year, I would have preferred to see Biega in it over guys like Pouliot, Delzato, and Gabranson play more of a role. And yeah, kind of sad to see him go. I mean, mm-hmm. he was never going to be a guy that was going to help us lift the Stanley Cup or anything like that. But he was a he was a heart and soul guy, and I appreciated the time we had him. Yeah, I agree. He grew on me, as you know. Um, this also solves the situation that Utica was having with too many uh, pro contracts there, which is something we talked about last week. So it gives them a little more flexibility because by sending all three of the guys down that they did, it really jams up the guys that aren't considered developmental players. David Pope is. Again, I don't think we're going to see much of him as another guy to put in the system down there, but it, it solves that problem. And uh, Biega and, and Benning have a, a good relationship, so it's it's again it's a move to help him out. Biega had a really nice Twitter post uh, as well, thanking Vancouver, and uh, he's a guy who ends up going from a guy that I kind of forgot about all the time to a guy that you know I'll 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 say good things about you. Absolutely, he's uh, like I said. I know uh, Benning said he drafted him in Buffalo, so their relationship goes quite a ways back. And yeah, appreciate the time you you gave us as a Canuck fans, Biega. For sure. Um, well, we got a we got a great show coming up this uh, this episode. We got our first two guests ever, as Doug mentioned. Um, Abby uh, comes on and just does a great job talking about what the kids are doing around the system, and. Pat comes on, does a does another good job of telling us about the Flyers and what we can expect when they're in town for the Canucks' first home Saturday night hockey night in Canada game of the year. So without further ado, Doug, should we uh, jump into these interviews here, see what we got? Let's do it. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. We have our first ever guest on today's show. We have our first two guests ever on today's show, so... We're very excited about this, and we wanted to welcome in Abby, also known to all of you out in the Twitter universe as Canucks Abby Fan 2. We find him at Fan2Abby. And Abby, welcome to the show. Well, thanks very much for inviting me on, especially on uh, such a night before a historic night with the Canucks name uh, Bo Horvat as their captain. Yeah, you think there's uh, any doubt that it's going to be Bo? There, has, there hasn't been really for any, any time period. I thought I was kind of chuckling when I was reading on Twitter about all the controversy about PD and all that, but uh, it was pretty clear if you were following the media that the uh, decisions have been made for quite a while. So to me, anyway, it was. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the worst kept secret in Canucksville, I think, is what uh, Equilini was saying about it. Um, so we're, we're both big fans of your Twitter page. We use it a lot for following prospects and, and checking videos out uh, for kids overseas that we don't really get to see. So could you just tell everyone just a bit about how you became a Canucks fan, any early memories of the team, and just kind of what got you onto this path? Well, geez, I, I was born in the early 60s, so I remember the, the end of the uh, the actual, the end of the original six time period. That's what, that's my first memories, and then expansion to 12 teams, uh, eventually 14 and so on, and the Canucks coming into, into the league as well. And uh, I remember Curtin back and Quinn, uh, especially memories uh, from the first teams, but uh, I think really, I really when it finally took off and with the, 80, the '82 sort of stood out. But it's really, really in the '90s when Pat Quinn came aboard and, and, and things really started going. That uh, I think that's been really, 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 really something that uh, I spent a lot of time with. Mm-hmm. What was the uh, the level of excitement uh, in the city when the team officially joined the league? Um, <clears throat> I think there's there's a lot of questions about whether they were going to get into the league. There's a lot of Controversy as whether whether why they weren't part of the original uh, expansion of twelve. So, but there's certainly a lot of excitement up until then. The country had been pretty well divided into Leaf fans or English-speaking people and, uh, and Habs fans for the uh, French-speaking Canadians, and so it was really a country of English versus French and Leafs versus Habs. Mm-hmm. And uh, California did get two teams in that 1967 expansion draft, uh, and one of them didn't last very long. The other one, the Kings, are still there. Yeah, the Oakland Seals under uh, Charlie Finley and became the California Golden Seals, and they have the famous gold, gold skates, and uh, I think they used a yellow puck at one point, too. Yeah, they have uh, one of the more unconventional logos in uh, recent NHL history. 
Um, so we just kind of wanted to uh, dive around the horn a bit and uh, maybe start in Europe and just talk about some of the kids that we have over there. Um, and I think for us, Doug, would you say Pod Colson is the most obvious starting point over there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think Pod Colson seems to be the highest uh, tiered prospect we have in the system at the moment. And he's had a bit of a yo-yo up and down start for his uh, league in Russia there. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of, we both wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on, you know, how Paul Colson's looked, even though he's bounced up and down between the K and the V. Well, he's, uh, he's, he's a, he's a player that, that is totally self-motivated. As I read an article from his coach in junior, he's coming up and he said, he's one of the few kids he's ever coached that doesn't have to be told to do things. He's just does it himself. And he's, he's got that internal fire. And uh, now the, the reason he's been yo-yoing around, though, has more to do with the fact that the KHL is a professional league, so it's, it's like the NHL in that it's a win-first league. So it's sort of like when Jake Pertanen and uh, Bo Horvat and, and Jared McCann came into the NHL. Like they're, they're, they were, the NHL's not really there to try and develop them at that level that early on. So they've given them some ice time, but it was really, he was the 13th forward. They allowed 13 forwards in that league. And so... Whenever he's got a chance to play, he's he's played hard. He's on the puck all the time. He skates well. He passes well. But it's just hard getting that time because that that, that team is trying to win the win the, the Gagarin Cup, which is the equivalent of the Stanley Cup, and that's their main goal. And coaches tend to prefer veterans over rookies, as we've seen in the NHL over the even the decades of the Canucks. What is um? Is there an NHL comparable kind of to uh, Pod Colson? He plays a bit of a unique game from what I've seen of him play, but is there someone that he kind of reminds you of, either past or present? Well, I, I did look at his uh, his Twitter page and see who he followed. He follows Ovechkin and, and Melkin, interestingly enough. Um, I, I see some shades of Ovechkin in him and the, the fact that mm-hmm. he's, he's a physical player and he, he likes to go to the net. Now, I, I don't know if he's got that shot, but he's got a, he's got a decent shot but to that level, but it's just the, that uh, strength, that physicality, and that... Uh, the way he's always on the puck and always goes to the net. I've noticed a lot of that comparison there to me, but probably because, probably because they're both Russian as part of it as well. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've always, he reminds me a lot of Malkin. That was a kind of, I think it's maybe the way he skates. He's got a bit of an unconventional stride, but I, I agree with that. Maybe it's, again, though, maybe it's just with uh, the Russian factor. And speaking of other Russians, uh, the big boy over there, uh, Tramkin, have you been able to catch much of what he's been doing so far this year? Yeah, Trapkin, I've, I've seen a lot of. What, what, how I came to do this was uh, I retired back in June June 1st of 2018, and that was after Trapkin had gone back for one year, and he had a really exceptional year where he he, to, he made the all-star team on merit, and he did a really excellent year. And I watched him, and that was the year he was named captain, and then he suddenly lost the captainship. So he had sort of a rocky situation with his coach, sort of, I guess, with, what he must have had with Willie D as well. But uh, he's really become... I almost uh, a defensive specialist. So I mean, his offense—he doesn't get any time on the power play very much. He had a bit in the preseason, but he's—he's he's basically a shutdown guy. Um, he had a nice physical. I don't know if you saw Twitter today, but he had a physical, what I call the body slam, mm-hmm. in, front of, uh, his, in his lap. It was kind of interesting. The thing with him is that you've, you've got to get him to uh, play play to his size, and that's usually a problem with with bigger players because they've never had to really be defend themselves because they're always so big but uh, I've, his defensive play is really good his skating is exceptional and I've always thought he'd make a good uh, combo with, with Quinn Hughes in the sense that Quinn could take off but Quinn could also pass it off to him if he if he was double teamed or triple teamed uh, on the puck um, I know it's probably spe- uh, pure speculation but do you think there's a chance that uh, Triampkin could uh, come back to uh, Vancouver next year when his contract runs out? Um, I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Uh, Jim Benning said that he's interested in having him back. Uh, one thing that's sort of negative, though, is that he's he's, a, he's close friends with uh, Nikolai Goldobin, and, and Goldie got sent down, didn't make the team. Um, so I don't know if that'll play a factor. But generally, I don't think that'll, you know, be, if Goldie was on the team, that would probably be a more of a positive. But I think he's he's bored a bit in the KHL in the sense of that that league is, well, it's probably the second best league in the world. It's still far below the NHL level of hockey. And also there, you play. You're usually playing between, you know, before five or six thousand fans at best. So it's just not. He's got that same excitement. So I think he, he, what he does is he seems to follow the Canucks. Yekaterinburg, the city that he plays in, where the Automobilist Club plays, they're, they're about twelve hours different from Vancouver. So when it's seven a.m. here, it's seven p.m. there, and vice versa. 
So he tends to, he tends to, you know, at 7 a.m. he's playing hockey, uh, our time, but at 7 p.m. his time, he's waking up in the morning and, and, and turning into Canucks and watching the Canucks and he's been noticed on social media. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely seen him pop up. Seen him pop up in some of those Instagram stories with a little like or a couple of the love eyes there as well. One thing that's changed, though, I'll say, uh, it used to be that as soon as the, the, the club season was over in the KHL, they were free, the club usually freed them up easily to come back to the NHL. So if his club was done at the end of February, didn't make the playoffs, and theoretically he'd come back at that point for like March 1st. One thing that's happened this year, though, is the KHL has now changed where if a club does that prematurely before the contract expires on April 30th, then they lose the future KHL rights to that player. So that might be one reason the team might not want to do that. So, so much for this season. If there was, if there were to be a end of season playoff run or attempt to make the playoffs or, or or actually be in the playoffs, he might not get back for that reason. That's interesting. Yeah, that is. Um, do you think um, as well? I've said this before, but uh, Pod Colson being maybe a year and a half or so away, do you think there's an importance to having another Russian on the team uh, in, for the what is that, I guess the twenty one twenty two season? I think it's helpful. I think I think probably uh, Dramkin was probably mismanaged a bit by the Canucks when he first came out because I mean, think of yourself. If, if we if I dropped you in in the, the middle of Moscow, I mean with two words, you know how to say yes and no, and then asked you to perform at a high level, and and you're just newly married, and and your wife's probably at home, and she she can't speak to anybody and has no friends. That's it's, it's a tough situation to adapt to. So I, I don't know I don't know what they could have done, but I, some teams and I think I saw Calgary was was trying to bring interpreters into it and maybe do a better job of helping people to to adjust but it is it is a big adjustment mm-hmm. yeah i remember uh, there was that report that the canucks had showed triamkin some videos of chris pronger and i literally just imagined uh, clockwork orange where they got his eyes wired open and he's watching these videos <laughs> of how they want him to play <laughs> yeah. well i think he's been given the the uh, the uh, the uh, nickname big friendly giant for a reason but again i've seen that over all all my years of watching hockey the the larger players they 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 tend not to you know be also nasty because they they haven't had to be sometimes that that smaller player that you know the uh, that, that 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 is that way so they're I'm thinking of people like Bob Daly who the Canucks actually drafted and Jill Lupian these were these were big guys six foot five six six foot six and they did play they did play physical but there was, their coaches were always asking them to be more physical mm-hmm. so Tramp Crampton's physical but he's not dirty. Um, but you wonder if a good coach, and I think Travis Green's a good coach, who got a hold of him and, and was able to to get him to play a, a, a tougher brand of game, not Chris Pronger, but just a, a more physical game. And I think it's, he's more suited to the smaller NHL rink as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's uh, jump over to Sweden and uh, check in with some of the prospects over there. I know uh, Nils Hoglander made some headlines for all the wrong reasons, but uh, how has he looked overall, would you say, to start his year in uh, Sweden? Well, you know, I had a chance to see him at the Canucks the development camp at the end of June at UBC, and he was just he was, he was just standing out to, uh, above everybody else at that uh, at that little uh, get together there. I mean, he was he was his skill level, his skating level, just his hockey sense was standing out in, in that in that setting. Um, he's he's got off to a really good start. He's uh, he's the young guy who was on the second line to start the season. And he was there for most of it. I think he. Last game he got punched down the third line, so it's probably one of the reasons he threw that elbow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen that he's done that elbow before, and and I, I had the thought, you know, what if what if Brock Buster had done that, with, uh, and Chris Dierney been the one that was on on the ice with anybody again hit Brock Buster in, in the numbers and in the boards? So that's probably part of the thinking he's got in his mind is your your back your your back is to the boards, and at that one he's probably a bit of an angle, but he's got a bit of Matt Cook in him. There's no doubt. Well, and I think you brought up a good point earlier where you say sometimes the smaller players, I think of like a Theron Fleury or a Brad Marchand, they're kind of the ones that have more of a grit and bite to their game. And like you said, they don't get pushed around like that. And I think that's a great point, you know. Would players be willing to hit Besser in the numbers if they knew an elbow could be flying back at them? Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I go back a long ways. And I, that would already have, you know, would have only got two minutes for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder what the NHL would have done. I wonder what the NHL would have done. Sweden was pretty quick, and five is probably the right thing in today's mm-hmm. today's game. But I wonder if the NHL what they would have done. Would they have suspended him for, you know, one game? Would he have been just that game that he thrown out of two games, or would they gone five as well? Interesting question. Yeah, sometimes deciphering the uh, NHL's disciplinary action is is a little bit murky 
at the best of times. Uh, let's hop over to the Comets, though, because there's been a couple of really exciting things, I think, that have happened this week uh, with the Comets in uh, some of their prospects. And Cole Lind was making a whole bunch of headlines and had, I thought, a really strong game from what, what I caught of him. Uh, what is your take on Cole Lind? And also, I want to ask you after that as well about Ole Olevi, kind of the, the two guys who've been making a lot of headlines this week. I mean, I think that's what we were waiting for, and we were expecting it last year. But he's had a tendency in his second year to really blossom when he's in a new league. I think it even goes back to his Bantam AA year. Like, I think is looking at some numbers on him in his first year at Swift Current Raiders, he had 14 goals and 32 assists in 24 games. But the second year, it was like 46 points, 22 goals in 20 games. He did the same when he did uh, the, the Saskatoon contacts, and he was a little bit older. He went from 37 points his first year to 79. And then finally, like Cloney went from 41 to 87 points to 95 and 58. He seems to get better in the league as he gets accustomed to it. So that was the story that we were, we were waiting for and, and expected from him. And he certainly had a terrific first game. I mean, his passing is, is, is quite quite impressive, and he's now doing it at the AHL level. It's one game only, I caution that. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he could have easily had five or six uh, points in that game. Yeah, it's really encouraging to see. I know a lot was made about uh, the Canucks' development of some of their players in Utica, especially him and his second-round draft cousin there, Jonah Gadjevich. So it was, it's, very, it's very nice to see one of our young kids actually starting to make some progressive strides. And I do agree with you with uh, Lind. I got to see him play in junior with the Rockets, and he's got another level. I remember seeing him his first year and then going into seeing him his second year, and he was, he was even then, you could just tell this guy was going to be a high NHL pick and you can always tell those WHL kids when you watch a lot of that hockey you can just see those guys who have that next level in them and Cole Lynn certainly does he has that competitive drive to him what, what I really like about him he's got that uh, what I would say the Alex Burroughs uh, Antoine Roussel uh, mm-hmm. bite to his game where he's in your face and you know he's trying to draw penalties and, and uh, I don't know if he can fight I haven't, I haven't seen him fight but uh, but uh, he's certainly an agitator and mm-hmm. uh, going to bring a lot of value in that that's something probably the Canucks are missing right now as we're still out of the lineup. Yeah, for sure. A good, good old Canadian boy hockey right there. Um, and Yolevia, I believe he lost his assist on uh, that in that great game there. Um, but from what I saw there, he was moving the puck quite well. He was seeing the ice quite well. Um, I like the way he was kind of transitioning through the neutral zone. Um, what do you think? Did you think he had a pretty strong showing with them? Was there things that you liked about his game? Was there any rust that you kind of saw? Well, I had a chance when I, when I was out again at UBC uh, uh, back at the end of June. I got there a bit early, and uh, I, I happened to run across the skills coach with just just Yolevi and Jet Wu, and they were both coming back from injuries. And clearly, Yolevi was still you know relatively early stages back then because he was doing lighter skating. But they were I, I, that that pairing. Just I, I was thinking to myself, this is going to be an excellent pairing for the connects uh, of Yolevi and, and Wu someday. Um, he's clearly got. He's clearly healthy now. Um, he's a really smart player, and and we tend to forget about him because you know because of the injuries, and, and we tend to get rid of players too much and too quickly in our minds because defensemen also take a longer time to, to develop. But mm-hmm. uh, I guess the Tichuk thing is sort of uh, upset a lot of people because he's turned out to be such a top player. But uh, Ulevi, I can see being in our top four and being a solid contributor. He reminds me of the, the you know the former Euro count at the the Salos and the uh, mm-hmm. old that type of player, a hard rock player is going to be smart and and play a lot of years for the Canucks. He reminds me a lot of Salo, uh, maybe not as heavy a shot, but the way he breaks out really does remind me of Sammy Salo. And again, it's maybe it's the same thing with comparing Malkin to Pod Colson as Salo to uh, to him. It's just, you know, it's the easier way to kind of compare guys. But I, I agree. I mean, defensemen do take longer. He's 21, and Salo, again, didn't make his NHL debut until he was 21. So defensemen do take a longer time. Another guy that I think Ulevi reminds me of and could actually turn out to be quite similar is actually um, Dan Hamuse. He's one of those guys you don't really notice on the ice, but that's not a, necessarily a bad thing. And I think Yolevi's game, even though he does have a bit more offensive flair, at least in my opinion, than Hamuse did, I think Yolevi's kind of got that same kind of methodical, calm demeanor on the ice and almost too calm in a way. I know Travis Green and him have kind of butted heads in previous camps about how unenthusiastic he comes across from time to time. Yeah, I, for me, he's got a lot more offensive uh, output to give than Dan Hamus. The guy who reminds me that we have in our system that, of Hamus is Tony Uten out of Finland. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I had a chance to see him back uh, in, I think it was July, July of uh, late July, August of 2018, when they had the World Junior Showcase in Kamloops. I got to see all those games, and he just sort of struck me as that guy the coach always relies upon. He's he's the he's the guy that's you know usually invisible, and he you don't you don't notice him because he's doing everything right. And my question with him was whether he has more offense to give, and sure enough, he scored the, the yeah. goal to eliminate Canada. Um, right now he's, he's injured though he's been out uh, since the last uh, Champions Hockey League game when he got injured uh, he slid into the boards and it's very hard to get information uh, about what the injuries are I'm thinking it's, it's a leg injury for certain but whether there's a fracture or whatnot but he's missed uh, I think about 11 games now mm-hmm. he's a guy who I noticed as well who really um, uh, his the year he was drafted I thought he, he you know he didn't impress me a lot but as the season went on, and of course, we were at the game in uh, Vancouver when he scored the goal to eliminate Canada. And of course, it was a Canucks prospect who did it. But he's really made a lot of strides since then, and uh, he has impressed me as well. He's a guy who kind of had on the back burner, but is making uh, a pretty pretty strong case in the right direction. I'd be curious to see what, what we have with him. And you'd mentioned Jet Wu before, and the Calgary Hitmen this year are a bit of an interesting follow for Canucks fans with uh, Focht as well. And... What have you seen out of these two guys? Uh, and I, I know, like, Jet Wu's kind of in a, a tough spot. You know, he's a, I guess he's a last year of junior this year, and he's, he's done a lot that he can, and I think he's ready to take that next jump into kind of the pro level. But what have you seen out of Wu and Focht, and should Canucks fans be circling the date when the Hitmen are in town on their calendar? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely want to see that game myself. Um... Wu could probably play in the AHL this year, but again, he's probably, he'll probably. Be, I don't think he's. I don't see him stepping right into the NHL. I think some people are thinking that, but mm-hmm. probably here in Utica at least would probably make some sense because the pro game is there's that adjustment, especially for defensemen. I don't think they should rush him um, unless he really shows that he's you know, he should come in right away. It's, it's it's rare that that's good for defensemen. I mean, last I can think of too much like that was Cam Fowler, who probably was rushed a bit though, but he he was all right. But uh, uh, Fought, uh, I, I, he's a late bloomer. The question is, you know, when you when when you are a late bloomer, are you? Does that mean you're an NHLer, or does that mean you're an AHLer who's going to play in Europe? So, mm-hmm. I think a little bit of Brendan Gauntz because we all had him pegged at, uh, as a first line center until I think it was uh, uh, the center the center coach at the time from Calgary. I can't remember his first name right now. Um, said that you know Gauntz might be a third line center, and, and Canucks Nation sort of erupted, including myself. But uh, turned out. Sutter was probably right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always tough to gauge with those uh, WHL numbers or CHL numbers in general. I guess the difference between Gaunt and Fock is is about four rounds in the draft, though. But he's had a he's had a very strong start at this moment. He has seven points in four games. Um, from what I've seen, he's an interesting one, and you know, a guy who could be making a push for the World Junior Team as well this year. What stood out for me is, is that the coaches at the NHL camp were really impressed by the way he looked like an NHLer already for a young kid, and so that you know, he could be a late bloomer. And uh, I mean, he's the type of guy that maybe you'll develop your own bottom six uh, center, a third or fourth liner, so mm-hmm. you don't have to pay uh, big money for the you know, for setters and, and beagles more so. But uh, in the future, you, you'd be better off developing your own guys who are on ELC contracts, obviously. For sure, he's kind of got that uh, that character that uh, Benning and the team really seem to like to draft as well. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. He's got that kind of like those intangibles that you always hear management always want to talk about when they're talking about players and basic leadership skills. Uh, let's uh, move over to the NCAA. Uh, I know uh, Will Lockwood's going into his final year of, of uh, NCAA hockey, and uh, he's the captain of the Michigan Wolverines. And then obviously Tyler Madden kind of burst onto the scene last year. Um, what are your thoughts? I know it's still early in the season, but you know what have your thoughts been on those two players? Well, they're not really getting started up until I think this Friday. Uh, there was an exhibition game that Lockwood was involved in, like playing against Windsor, and he, he scored a goal. But um, Lockwood's another character guy. He's another guy. He's he's a lot like Hoglander and Pod Colson will get in your face and, and ghost the net. Um, I, I'm thinking that there's going to be a real push for, towards the Canucks roster here at, at some point coming up as early as April, but certainly into next season where we're players will be pushing uh, people out of the bottom six. I think somebody like Jake Rutan probably has to be unnoticed that somebody wants his spot. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Zach McEwen's probably already after it. Cal Collins got his eye on it. We've got Hoglander come, come along, and uh, this is probably one other guy who's going to be doing that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Lockwood's um, he's, uh, he's 
one I've always kind of tried to try to figure out where we use him. It feels like he's been in the system forever, and we kind of keep forgetting about him in a lot of ways. And I know also playing with Michigan last year, he got a lot more attention because of number 43 playing on Michigan, and Canucks fans kind of remembered again that, oh, yeah, we, we do have this guy in the system, and, he, and he's pretty damn good as well. He's, he's 22 years old, so a little bit older. He's the type of guy that could actually step perhaps into the Canucks lineup right away, too. Mm-hmm. Now, Less so, if obviously if they're in a playoff race or they're make, making the playoffs, but uh, if you know if they're out of the playoffs, they're the type of guy that could probably step into into the lineup right away. I don't know if you have to go to Utica. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the Canucks do like their NCAA guys as well. This has been uh, something that's been going on for a while. Uh, uh, especially, you know, we have a couple of kids on the blue line down in Utica that are looking pretty strong with us in Rafferty and Tevez. Uh, do you have any kind of prospects on that we haven't really talked about? Anyone kind of flying under the radar? Uh, currently in the Canucks organization that you want to give a mention to and say that this could be, you know, either a dark horse or someone to watch as a long-term project. I like uh, Car- Carol Plasek uh, out, of the, out of the Czech League. He was, a, he was another late-round guy. He was looking really good. Uh, the uh, People are saying that we're waiting for hockey season. Of course, uh, it really starts up at the end of July and August in, in, in Europe and, and uh, Russia. And I was watching, he was, he was, he's a 19-year-old kid, actually might be 18, I'll have to double check, but he's an 18 or 19-year-old kid. He's made it in the uh, the top Czech league, and he was doing really well in that preseason, but he took a puck in the face and he was out of the lineup for a period of time. Um, he's come back, uh, He's play, he was playing on the fourth line, but he's back again playing on the second line with Thomas Buklanich, who used to play in oh, the wow. NHL. Yeah. And uh, he hasn't produced yet, he's had played eight games, he's got one assist, but he's, mm-hmm. he's one of those guys that I think he's listed at 149 pounds, sort of like Petey was, but to me, he looks like he's grown and he's gotten maybe more towards 180 pounds, so he looks like a bigger player too. He's got that hockey look, I don't, I know the eye test is never popular, he's got that hockey player look to him, and I think he's somebody to keep an eye on. He's, he's actually... At a high, performing or making it at a higher level than, than Lucas uh, Gasek did. Lucas, Lucas pretty well couldn't get a, get into the top league. Nobody would give him nice time. And I think that's one guy we're looking at to, in uh, Utica, too, is a dark horse. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's, a, he's an NHL type player in the future, too. Yeah, Doug, you're a big uh, fan of Yasek's game, aren't you? Yeah, I've liked uh, what I've seen uh, from him the last couple of years in Utica. He's one of those guys that kind of gets, you know, uh, not mentioned as often as some of the other top prospects in yeah, Yasik, uh, I thought has been you know one of arguably the better players in Utica the past couple of years. Yeah, and uh, you know they're already tried they're trying the center because that's that's a weakness on the Utica team, and they tried that a little bit last year too, and that, that tells me a lot that they're thinking he's uh, he's somebody who could actually take on the center position in the AHL this year. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, I don't think he ever played that in, in the Czech League, not that I recall. So they're actually you know giving him some versatility, but he's the type of guy that could uh, work into the Canucks, you know bottom six at some point not again knocking out somebody's got a big contract somebody who comes in on ecl mm-hmm. um and just this moving now to the big club um what are your thoughts on the canucks going into the season i know it's early um what do you think of the makeup of the roster what do you think the roster might look like uh as the season goes on and just just kind of your overall thoughts on on the squad we have assembled right now well, I, I was really happy with all the acquisitions uh, for the most part this, this this summer, and I think this is I think this is a, a playoff team. I think it's uh, I mean, obviously it's not guaranteed, but it never really is. The NHL is that that close nowadays. But uh, I know everybody's a bit uh, um, anxious because of the way the season started. But uh, when you run into teams that are at their on their home openers, they're always tough to play against. Mm-hmm. And we've got a bunch of new players who've got to melt together. And uh, hockey, we have to remember that hockey is not a one-person game. It's it's a team game, and a lot of that comes from from you know learning to play together. So I, I, I like the fact uh, the way the lineup is. Uh, I think maybe, maybe Travis Green as usual is already bouncing up maybe maybe too fast. But I like a more stable lineup. But uh, I think. Uh, uh, AV used to do that as well. Always bring more up the lines, but uh, I'm obviously I'm, I'm, I was always in favor of the Gaudette, uh, Levo, Rutan, uh, and third line. But then you have to take it from a perspective. You got Sutter coming back, trying healthy for the first time, and he's respected in the room. And uh, do the players seem to want to put an A on him? Um, you've got to give your veterans a chance, I think. And uh, I think there'll be turnover. I mean, I don't see Louis Erickson lasting much longer on the roster. At some point, they're going to be putting him on waivers. So if Roussel comes back, I mean, who's going to leave? Assuming mm-hmm. there's, there aren't more injuries, and there will be other injuries, but somebody's going to go at some point. Um, so I think I think Erickson will be gone. Um, if the team, though, is pushing for the playoffs, I don't think you're going to see Sutter go anywhere. Um, 
and you're not going to see Tanev go anywhere if they're pushing for a playoff spot and they're, and they're legitimately there or close to it. Yeah, I know, Doug, you've said that about Sutter as well, eh? Uh, that, that, that's what he's here for. Yeah, he's one of those guys, you almost reminds me of a different position, but almost like a Willie Mitchell where you really would see his value come playoff time. He's one of those guys that I think does help you win games in the playoffs. But unfortunately, this team, since Sutter's been part of them, hasn't made the playoffs. Or they did the one year, but I think Sutter was hurt. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, what would you say is the biggest improvement to the team this year from last? Well, it's, it's, well that's, that's an interesting question, but it's got to be the defense. We got rid of all the uh, placeholder type of guys like the Del Zottos and the, uh, the Pugliots and those types of guys. And uh, Quinn Hughes is going to be is the major guy to come in. I think he's going to have the same effect or similar effect that PD had with the forward group. And just going to give him a little bit of time here to, to uh, get used to it. I think the reason he's being kept off of power play one is just to reduce the pressure on him, too, because you put the guy right on power play one right away, I think that's an awful lot of But uh, I think he'll be there sooner than later. But I think Tommy Myers, I mean, obviously he's got some warts, but uh, he's certainly uh, probably our, our best <laughs> right right uh, defenseman, and we've uh, certainly been lacking in offense. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been one of our biggest problems is getting offense from the defense. I think Myers and Hughes are going to make a, a big difference there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I think uh, when you're able to all of a sudden roll out a third pairing of Troy Stetcher and Jordy Ben, uh, that's that's a significant improvement from a Derek Pouliot, Eric Goodbranson kind of scenario that we've had the last couple of years. So I, I fully agree with your comments about the defense. Uh, just some kind of... Last bit here, it's going to hand it over to you. Uh, if you want to say anything to the Canucks universe, um, how to keep tabs on you, anywhere else that they should be checking, any resources, and just uh, any final thoughts? No, I'm just a retired guy. I've got no interest in being involved in media. I'm just trying to add something to, to Canucks Nation. I, I, you know, people, I, I, before I retired, I was just like everybody else, you know, raising a family and, and not having enough time to spend with the Canucks. And uh, so I can put some extra information out there while you're sleeping or, or you're working or, <laughs> or you're at school or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's easy to get there. That's, that, that's my intention. So I, I'm not a hockey genius. I'm just somebody who's followed hockey for a long time. And hopefully I know a little bit. Uh, we're, we're no geniuses either. We just, we just do this because we love it. We love the team and, we want to we want to have a, a voice out there as well but we think you're doing a great job we we were both uh real big fans of the content that you put out it's really informative and it is great for people like us who have to work the nine to fives and uh, don't get to get up in the middle of the night to watch khl hockey or anything so we really appreciate everything that you're doing abby and we really appreciate you coming on the show as well and being our first ever guest well thanks so much for having me and i really enjoy your podcast as well and keep it up and keep the guests coming and uh, i'll be listening Thanks, man. Again, once again, you can follow Abby at at Fan2Abby on Twitter. I'm sure all of you are already following him. Uh, He's a must-follow. All right, joining us, our second guest ever, and our resident Philadelphia Flyers fan, because every hockey group needs a resident Philadelphia Flyers fan. Calling us from Victoria, B.C. is Pat Hundle. Pat, how you doing? Doing great, boys. How about yourself? Yeah, we're doing pretty good. Just enjoying fall over here on the mainland and the bright lights in the big city. Um, and we just brought you on because, like I said, resident Flyers fan, the Canucks' first home Saturday game of the season is coming up against the Flyers. So we wanted to kind of get a bit of a preview of the team. And what have you thought so far? Of the first, It's only one game in, I know. But uh, what have you thought of the team? And what are your thoughts on the Flyers this year? You know, probably um, like a lot of Flyers fans, like we really don't know what to expect. Like two years ago, uh, we made the playoffs. You know, we had a hard-fought series with the Pittsburgh Penguins, took them to six games. Everybody last year thought we were going to make the big step. We signed like JVR, probably the second best free agent there was. And then last year kind of fell apart. And a lot of that stemmed from poor goaltending that just kind of, um, you know, just kept on going and this made the, the season tougher than it is and then there was a coaching change and the GM change as well um, so we saw some of the changes they made this year in terms of just getting better defensively they wanted to cut down the goals against and uh, Kevin Hayes ended up being a really big signing and then just bringing in Niskanen and Braun so Flyers have a really young defense and um, you know we just uh, 
they're thinking about like you know how to put a put together a better defensive squad with the whole goal being to cut down goals and hopefully Carter Hart, which I'm sure you'll probably ask about a little more depth later on, um, is you know gonna gonna help the team out. Um, thought so far, you know, I was very optimistic, and then I watched them in preseason, and they just did not look good. But uh, that first game against Chicago, they looked great. So it's like Jekyll and Hyde. I'm sure, like a lot of Flyers fans, we're not sure who's going to come out um, on Saturday. So hopefully the better team, than, like the one we saw against Chicago, than uh, what we've seen in the preseason. Uh, there's obviously a bit of a Canucks uh Canucks tie-in with uh, Lane Vigneault being uh, named the coach this year. Uh, what are your thoughts on the hire of Vigneault for uh, the Flyers as the new bench boss? Uh, first, you know, I got to say, he's a great quote. Um, the media and just sort of like the fan base, they're really giving him a chance. Um, the Flyers are actually on a televised special, uh, one of those NHL programs they have, so just kind of like behind the scenes. And um, he's kind of the star of the show right now. Um but based on his track record, you know, he's had success everywhere he's gone, you know, with the Canucks, uh, took him to the final there. He, with the Rangers, um, took him to the final there and just uh, had a lot of wins and uh, seems like he knows what he's doing. But the other thing to look at, too, which I'm wondering kind of played into his decision, is everywhere he's won, he's had that elite goaltending. Um, he had Luongo in Vancouver. He had Lundquist in, uh, in New York. So great goaltending is a way to mask uh, poor coaching. So I think Vigneault's banking on Carter Hart being the real thing. And is Carter Hart the real thing? I know, uh, I guess it was a year or two ago, we went and saw Carter Hart play when he was still at the uh, Everett Silvertips, and I thought he looked great that game. Um, and obviously he's been great throughout the years as well. And last year was he was pretty fantastic, I thought, with coming up with the Flyers. Is he the real deal? Is Carter Hart the goalie of the future? Uh, Philly... You know, we joke in Vancouver about Vancouver being a goalie graveyard, but I know you guys have gone through it as well. You know, um, yeah, it's just cautiously optimistic because, you know, I've been a fan since 85. Uh, first there was Pelly Lindbergh. Then there was Ron Hextall. Then, you know, we had uh, Brian Boucher was going to be the next one. And then even Robert, or then Roman Chechmanic, and then Robert Esch. So we've had a lot of these heights. Uh, goalies come through, but um, I'm hoping Carter Hart's pedigree, um, you know, he's won everywhere he's gone. He has a really good head on his shoulders. He's really good with the media and the kids. Like, you know, he's like a 30-year-old in the body of a 21-year-old. Um, and, you know, Pete, I've sort of joked around. I think I was telling you and the, the boys at our hockey pool group, um, just, you know, I was joking with my wife a little bit being, uh, you know, I used to tell her that, like, you know, I've been waiting for her my whole life, but... It just might be that I've been waiting for this kid my entire life. <laughs> all life, the Flyers' goaltending woes. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, hopefully he, he is. I'm leaving with the pedigree. Um, when I watch him play, I'm not worried about him giving up that back-breaking goal with a minute left. Um, it's just one of those things. And with like most Flyers goalies, like we are the ultimate like battered child, you could say, where we're, you know we're just expecting something bad to happen to us at any moment. We could be up by two goals, and we're still going to think, oh, there's a possibility. We won't relax until the game's over. Uh, Elaine Vigneault's got a bit of a reputation not to trust his younger players. Are you worried that Vigneault, if Hart maybe struggles at the beginning of the year, do you think, you know, are you worried that Vigneault might decide to kind of turn to another goalie or not rely on some of the young, skilled players that seemingly the Flyers are have up and coming this year? Um, I guess that's sort of a two-part. So with respect to Carter Hart, you know, I'd be okay. He might have that sophomore slump, right? So it's a matter of just getting him to have, like, you know, the proper habits and everything. And let's be honest, it's a lot of stress to put on a 21-year-old, you know, the expectations of a, an entire city. Well, I guess the ones that follow the Flyers anyways. It's more of an eagle town as is. Um but yeah, you know, like I wouldn't be too upset. And you know, Brian Elliott performs well, and you know, he, he gets the save. So I kind of foresee them having like a tandem goaltending throughout the season. So if in the beginning of the year he needs a little bit more practice or he doesn't get as many starts as he should, I'm looking at the long game in terms of Carter Hart. So I want him to be our guy, you know, for the next ten years. And um, you know, I don't want to throw that comparable, but even just like Carey Price, you know, I think he had a great rookie year, and then he really struggled in a sophomore season, and 
I think it was against us, you know, when Halak had that really good playoff run. You know, there were even Montreal fans saying, hey, we should trade Carey Price. And, you know, looking back on it now, that seems like a pretty silly thought to entertain. Mm-hmm. Um, with respect to, like, the other young kids on the team, you know, as a fan, I'd like to see uh, more of the young players play, preferably the exciting ones, the ones with skill and play a better brand of hockey. But, you know, as a fan, I've reached that point where I just want to see us win. So if, if it's slowing down the game and, you know, playing a fourth liner or whatever it is, um, the kids are going to get their chance. Um, and, yeah, you know what, they, they have to earn that job. Um, this probably isn't one of your questions, but just sort of, you know, reaching a little bit is that, like, you know, for the last several years, especially since Ron Hextall came, we've been talking about, you know, the Flyers have this incredible prospect pool. You know, we've got so much depth. We're always rated in the top five. And then, like, the Corey Pronmans of the world, you know, just everyone else going along, too. But, you know, I've been watching this this last little bit, and a part of me worries me that, like, hey, are we just a little higher on our kids than they really are? You know, there's that element of homerism. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I like to think our kids are really good, but I'm hoping that they pan out and not just, you know, we're looking through, looking at them through rose-colored glasses. I think that's an issue that every fan base in the NHL has, that we all kind of overhype our own prospects. And speaking of kind of overhype prospects, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, uh, but looking back on the Nolan Patrick draft, and obviously the Flyers passed on Petey, uh, is there any regret there? Are you worried about Nolan Patrick this year? I know there were some reports that he was having really bad migraines. Yeah, you know, um, if we were to take this back like 20 years, I would probably, as a younger man, say, you know, oh, this guy's a bust, and, you know, our team's uh, wasted the pick, and, like, how could this happen? But, uh, you know, if you get a little older, you reflect on life a bit, and, you know, it's actually a pretty serious disorder that he's going through. Um, So, you know, as a player wishing nothing, or as a person wishing nothing but the best for him, just get that speedy recovery and healing and everything like that. And just going back to the draft, and I remember talking with Pete and the rest of the buddies, right? You know, it was a Keisher Patrick draft. Mm-hmm. Um, that Petey that PD came through and turned out to be, uh, you know, who he is. Hey, you know, that's sort of the luck of the draw. If everyone saw him being as good as he is, um, we probably would have drafted him first overall. In terms of whether Patrick's going to turn out to be a bust, um, I, I believe he's going to have a better career than Patrick Steffen. Um, or, you know, sort of the Jason, Jason Bond seniors of the world. Um, but I, so yeah, I'm dating myself right there, right? Going back a little bit. You guys will, you guys will get the oh, references. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, but, yeah, you know what? I, I foresee him. You know, he'll, I, I believe he can be a high-end second-line center, the type of guy that you're going to win with in the playoffs just with the game that he plays. Um, he's not going to be the flashy guy. He's not going to be like the 100-point um, player that he is. So, you know, his ceiling, I would like to compare him to like another current flyer, like, you know, Sean Couturier, which is really reaching because Couturier is like an amazing player. But even if his floor turns out to be just a solid second, third, um, second, second-line center or high-end third-line center, hey, it is what it is, right? You know, and, uh, you know, there's still... Uh, a roster that's built around certain types of players and yeah you know we we've got that superstar center in Couturier right now who's carrying us and Kevin Hayes I'm not sure if you're going to ask about him later on uh, first when they signed him I wasn't too impressed but just having watched a lot of them in preseason and even that one game I'm like thank god we signed him even at that salary that we signed him at because um, you know he's actually a really good player Mm-hmm. And, I mean, uh, with Nolan Patrick as well, kid's 21, back-to-back 13-goal years. We've been, we've heard his name in junior for, for years before that. So, I, you know, I wish the kid the best. And you're right, it was uh, a Patrick Heischer draft that year, and those guys were the clear-cut one, too. It was it was kind of a, a no-brainer. Philly hit a, the easy pick there. Um, just one other player to really touch on with the Canuck connection, uh, Bo Horvat's cousin, Travis Konechny. This is a player that... I really like, had a great first game of the season with the Flyers, and uh, he's really quietly impressed, I think, for a 22-year-old. What are your thoughts on connecting, and what sort of game do you kind of feel he plays, or any sort of player he reminds you of or epitomizes? 
you know, he is the emotional heartbeat of that team. Um, it's been for like, whenever he's on the ice, something happens. He's always antagonizing. He'll, he plays way above his size. Um, even in the locker room, like he's just like a great guy to have. And, you know, just his skill set, you know, he's a good hockey player, a really good hockey player. Um, one of the complaints sort of in the, the stats world um, so far, it's that, you know, he's been great, you know, playing with like top two line talents or, you know, playing with Giroux or playing with Couturier. And that does he have the ability to sort of carry his own line or is he just going to be a good player on, you know, one of the top two lines and that's what you're going to expect from him. But, you know, he's coming into his own. Like, I, I, I truly believe that, like, he could be the next captain of the Flyers. He kind of has that it factor of something, you know, if Jerry were to, retire, to retire um, later on. And the contract that we signed him at, like, I think it's, like, five and a half for, like, six years. He's going to put up more points than that. Like, I could see him putting up 60 points this year, possibly even more, because, you know, I think in terms of, like, five-on-five scoring, he's one of the top point producers in the league. And, you know, he doesn't get first power play time. So you could just imagine what his points would be if he actually got to get that top power play time. Now, they've been playing him a little bit on that that role, I, I believe, against Chicago. We'll see how it plays out. But if he gets that first power play time, um, playing with a power play quarterback like Giroux, no, his uh, sky's the limit for him. Yeah, the, the comparisons with Bo Horvat, just from hearing you talk there, you know, leader, he even has a similar salary to what Bo has, you know, connecting to five and a half per year. Must be something in the water those guys are drinking or the turkey that those guys are having at, at Thanksgiving dinner. Um, just, uh, yeah, actually, you know, to touch on that as well, like, you know, Bo Horvat's more of a captain serious. Travis Konechny's more of like the class clown that just people follow. So, <laughs> I think it's a different type of breed. It's a different type of player. But you're right in terms of uh, just having that hockey sense and skill. Right on. Well, thanks for joining us here, Pat. And uh, just just uh, can you tell everyone where you're going to be watching the game next Saturday and what jersey you're going to be wearing? <laughs> Sorry? What jersey? Uh, what jersey can we expect you to wear? And where will you be watching the game? Um, I will be watching the game at home I'm going to be running the half marathon, the Victoria half marathon on Sunday in Victoria here so I uh, won't have the chance to come out to Vancouver to watch it there and in terms of uh, jerseys on the name um, you know, interesting side story on that, I don't put names on jerseys anymore because I figured out that there's a bit of a curse whenever I put a player's name on my jersey they always get traded <laughs> I'm looking at my Jovanovski jersey in the closet. I agree. Pat, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll be sure to do this again next time the Flyers are in town or the Canucks are visiting the city of brotherly love. Happy to do it, boys. Have a great day. Thanks, Pat. All right, it's that time again for us to drink a little bit of whiskey and go on a bit of a ramble about nothing. So, Doug, I hope you don't mind. I know we've already had this before, but if we have a bottle of scotch for every episode, man, like, uh, I don't know if I have enough space for those. So we're going into repeats here. I brought out that North Star again. Nice, I like that North Star. But what do you mean, Pete? We're not going to have a different different whiskey every time we do a podcast jeez i don't know if i have the budget for that man these things ain't cheap <laughs> trust me either do i all right but anyways this is uh just a recap this is one i brought back from scotland i think it was the last time i was over there uh 10 year space side it's got a nice kind of bourbony finish it's uh, it's a really nice easy drinking whiskey it's got that kind of like sweeter finish to it anyways cheers cheers all right so, uh, Doug, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to briefly kind of talk about uh, the end of an era with iTunes no longer going to be available. Um, I'm someone, and I know you are, Pete. We both have pretty extensive record collections. I do like physical media as far as music goes. Uh, there's nothing more satisfying than getting home and rifling through your record collection and picking out an album and throwing it on your turntable but i also loved my ipod in the mid to early 2000s there was nothing like travel like having your ipod and being able to travel with 
all your music was a game changer, like an absolute game changer. And I remember when I first realized that you could switch your iPod to manually manage music and you could automatically just manually up put whatever music you wanted onto your iPod. Um, yeah, like I said, I haven't really used iTunes in the last probably four or five years myself, so I understand why Apple's doing it, but uh, yeah, end of an era. Yeah, I hear you, man. I remember the days of traveling with a discman and burning CDs myself. Um, for me, uh, it's, hey, it's Thanksgiving. It's uh, coming up this weekend. It's the unofficial, official start of fall. I love this time of year. Uh, I got family coming over. I'm cooking the dinner. Uh, we'll see. I've told my mom to bring extra bottles of wine because of that, having all the family over in my place. But I'm also just excited. This is my first weekend off in Vancouver in almost two months. I don't have to leave town. And I get the Monday off. Uh, I'm just stoked for the weekend. Um, and I'm also stoked for going to the game tomorrow. But, yeah, man, that's, that's it. It's, uh, it's Thanksgiving. No worries. I hope you survive your Thanksgiving dinner with your family because we have a podcast to record next Wednesday. Yeah, this is true. I got, I'll, I'll have extra scotch. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to episode eight of Canucks Speakeasy. And thanks our, thank you to our guests who joined us tonight, uh, Canucks Abbey Fan 2. You can follow them at Fan 2 Abbey. And Pat, our resident Flyers fan. Yeah, Pat needs no, no handle because I don't think Canucks fans are following too many Flyers fans around here, but you can catch him next time the Flyers are in town. Uh, can't wait to go to the game tomorrow. If you guys are at the game, uh, we're in Section 313. Shoot us a message uh, on Twitter. Our handle is at Canucks Speak, and mine is at Pete underscore Gas. And mine is at Doug Venn. That's V-E-N-N. And hopefully this week brings a couple of wins into the column. It'll bring a new captain. We know that for sure. It's an exciting week. The home kickoff of the 50th season. So we hope you all enjoy, and we hope to see you again in Episode 9. When Abraham went to slash Isaac in a sense, he baptized him. Rabbi said, Don't trust them cash prizes. Same things that float your boat can capsize it. Tell the snakes they can take a hike like gas prices. No such things as halfway crooks or half righteous. Those who have eyes should act like it to help the sightless seeking the light switch.